1: When you're looking at labels, um, it is important if you do have somewhat sensitive skin to look for what's known as fragrance-free. And so what's important there is that unscented does not necessarily mean without fragrance. So unscented often will have a masking fragrance, but people can still be sensitive or allergic to that. And even things that say hypoallergenic and fragrance-free are still relatively loosely regulated. So even though they're as best as we can get... Um, In terms of of sensitivity and and minimizing the amount of ingredients, it's still not perfect. So even if you're using something that's fragrance free and you're developing an allergy or reaction, um, it's important to obviously follow up with your doctor to see if there's anything specific that, that needs to still be addressed.
0: On today's episode, we have Dr. Marissa Garshik, who is a board-certified dermatologist in New York City and also a mom of three. She sees patients of all ages focusing on medical and cosmetic dermatology. She has a passion for being able to improve her patients' quality of life and loves to help her patients look and feel the best version of themselves. Very impressive, Marissa. You have also pre- previously worked on the Dr. Awe show. You've also been featured in Travel and Leisure, Huffington Post, Women's Health, Allure, The Knot, uh, Shape magazine, Pop Sugar, and and more. Um, thank you so much for being here. What an impressive resume! Uh, I just I'm in so much awe of of everything you do. So thanks for taking time to be on the show today.
1: Well, no, thank you so much for having me, and thrilled to be here, and really looking forward to a great discussion today.
0: Yes, me too. Me too. Well, let's dive in then because I know I have a lot of questions, um, not only about my children and just, you know, preventative care for them, um, but then also for myself. So, but I want to know from you, what are the most common skin issues you see in your patients? Who, who mostly comes to see you and Why?
1: Yeah. So I mean, one of the beauties of dermatology is that there is so much variety in what we do each day. And so in a given day, I'm certainly doing skin checks where we're doing skin cancer screenings, looking for moles and um, making sure things are, are safe on everyone's skin. But we're also dealing with different types of conditions that show up on the skin. So whether it's acne, which incidentally is what Brought me into dermatology was myself dealing with acne as a, a teenager. Um, things like eczema or dryness of the skin, all sorts of rashes. So, people put something on their skin and all of a sudden they develop a reaction. So, all types of rashes we tend to see. Um, and other types of skin conditions like psoriasis. Um, we also deal a lot of the times people don't realize, but dermatologists are also the experts, not just in the skin, but also hair and nails. So, changes in hair, changes in nails. Um, really, I would say it's a wide variety. I always say some of the things are quick fixes, so somebody comes in for a wart and we're able to get rid of it, Um, and then other things that really require establishing a long-term relationship to really work through, and I think acne actually is a great example of that, where it sometimes takes time to see the benefits and and impact of what we can do, but a wide range of, of different things, lots of procedures. We also do the cosmetic side of things, so a little of everything.
0: I love that. I love that. Well, we're going to be talking about some of those things in more detail today, and and also, like I said, some preventative care uh, because I know I, I see my I see my dermatologist once a year to get my skin checked and um, my moles checked is to make sure that everything is good. And I love being preventative and encouraging others to be preventative too, instead of being reactive, you know, when they see something later on, you know, how long do they wait? And, oh, if we only came sooner. And, you know, so I just really like to encourage that. And, you know, for anyone who's listening today to, if you haven't already done that or started that process to do that, but, you know, when, when should we start doing skin cancer um, screening? Should that be done even as early as childhood or what age do you normally recommend for that to start?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we know that it's normal to develop new moles anywhere in your teenage years, your 20s, your 30s. And so during that time, as you're developing new moles, it's always good to have somebody lay eyes on them and make sure any new moles are not concerning are not anything um, to be worried about. Now, some of this does base itself a little bit on family history. So for patients who do have a family history of skin cancer, we may decide that they should start doing their skin checks a little bit earlier than, than sort of the average person. However, in general, we do usually recommend about once a year um, to, to make sure you're, you're getting your skin checked. And then those who have a higher risk of skin cancer may be more frequently than that. There is no official age to start because the risk factors do vary from person to person, but it's not uncommon for um, a, a patient of mine who may be a mom and notices a, a new spot on their child who may be eight years old, let's say, and to have them come in just to at least evaluate the spot. Um, And similarly, in their teenage years, as people are developing new spots, it's always good to have somebody lay eyes on them, make sure we have a good baseline. And then thereafter, your dermatologist would make a recommendation on what's best for you. But definitely something we always say when it comes to skin cancer, and when it comes to getting your skin checked, we'd much rather exactly, as you said, be preventative and sort of find things before they even start um, and find things as early as we can. One of the nice things about dealing with skin cancer, if you can say that there's a nice thing, is that if we catch things early, we're able to really treat it and address it and and move on. And so really um, catching things early is so important.
0: Exactly. I 100% agree with that. And uh, like I said, this is why I wanted you to come on the show today is to really you know educate and inspire and encourage others if they haven't taken that step to to do that as well, especially if they have a history. And if they don't have history to still you know take that first step. So I know I have suffered from eczema off and on for years. Um, Funny enough, I didn't actually even have my first eczema flare-up until I was in my 20s. Um, I was in my first year of grad school, and all of a sudden, I was in a very different climate than I was used to growing up, and it just was all over my body, on on my face. It was on my arms, my legs, everything. I tried steroid creams. I tried everything, and it eventually went away, but then... Sometime after having both of my kids, many many years later, over a decade later at least, it came back. But it only came back in between my fingers. No idea why. But can you shed some light on that? Because I know there's a lot of people out there probably listening right now um, that have you know kids with sensitive skin, kids with eczema, um, sometimes so bad where you know they. I, I know some families have been hospitalized because the kids you know haven't been able to stop itching and it's just it's all over their bodies. Um, what causes eczema and you know, what are some maybe things we can do at home to, to help some relief when we're having a flare up?
1: Absolutely. And so I I love, so even in your description there, you highlighted the fact that eczema can take on many different shapes and forms and look very different in different people, and it can affect different places of the body. So as a child, it may affect people in one location, whereas as they get older, they may notice a new area or it may just show up as an adult. And I think that's also commonly an area that's misunderstood because people are like, wait, I only thought kids get eczema. Um, But so taking a step back, when we think about this idea of eczema or these like, red flaky patches that people can experience that often are itchy. Um, There are different subtypes. And one of the most common that most people think of is what's known as atopic dermatitis. And that's what sometimes as a young child, some babies may start off having and they may continue to have it into early childhood. And basically, it's a, a reaction, it's an immune reaction to this very dry skin. And so there's thinking that essentially the skin barrier may be compromised. And our skin barrier is designed to help keep the good things in. So keeping moisture, in and help keep the bad things like irritants out. But if that's weakened or compromised, it can lead the skin to lose moisture, which can make the skin more susceptible to to dryness and and inflammation. Um, So really, when it comes to eczema, this idea of helping to support and strengthen the skin barrier is really fundamental. And so that can be started at a very early age of, of moisturizing the skin. So there was actually a study that among babies who were considered to be at a high risk of eczema based on family history, just by applying simple Vaseline or petroleum jelly to the skin in those first several weeks of life and continue on for a few months, they actually reduce their risk of developing eczema later in life. And so um, there's definitely a role for helping to support that skin barrier and providing that moisturization, even from a very young age. And of course, we know that, and I'm sure you could speak more to this, just in general for routine, massaging, um, moisturizing is, is always a nice perk in, in that in baby ritual. Um, so in addition to moisturizing regularly, it's also important to be gentle on the skin. And we can be gentle on the skin by making sure that we're taking short baths, not spending too long in the baths, not using harsh soaps or any kind of like abrasive scrubs. And and this is important even as when we're young, as little children, and as we get into adulthood as well. Now, of course, we all love a a hot shower every once in a while, but if you are prone to eczema or to dry skin, um, by keeping those showers Uh, short using lukewarm water um, can be very important because it's going to minimize the fact that you're going to otherwise strip the natural oils off your skin. So you want to keep all those oils in place. And then one common thing that people often forget to do is sort of moisturizing right when they get out of the shower. So when you get out of the bath as a kid or as as an adult out of the shower, whatever it may be, you want to make sure you're locking that moisture in. So I always tell my patients to basically take your shower as soon as you're done. You want to pat dry, so not vigorously rub and then apply a thick layer of moisturizing cream to the surface, and that's gonna lock all that moisture in. So as a kid, that's what you're kind of wanna start doing those habits early on. And then as you get older and with eczema, sometimes just these dry skin preventative measures are not enough. And so it is important to know that if it's not enough, um, certainly speaking to a pediatrician or your board certified dermatologist can be a very helpful step because there are prescriptions, as you mentioned, um, that can really be helpful. And we know that when eczema especially in young kids, um, affects them, it can really impact their quality of life. The itching can impact their sleep, how they perform in school. Um, so you really do want to address it. You want to make sure that you're using products that you feel comfortable with, but also that are going to get the job done in terms of treating the skin.
0: Yes, exactly. Because I know there's, even for myself, and I'm sure there's a lot of parents out there listening that don't necessarily want to use steroid cream, especially as a child. Even as an adult, I didn't really like doing that. So I tried to you know, find over-the-counter Uh, companies that, you know, had this, you know, specified eczema lotion and things like that. Um, I have found a few that have helped, uh, but there's still flare ups, you know, so, but there's other options out there, like you said. So, and if they do need something that's prescribed, you know, they can have that that as well, because sometimes it is bad enough where you, you know, might need something stronger than over the counter. But do you have any, um, I guess uh, tips maybe um, for parents out there that are seeing either themselves or their child um, suffering from eczema. um, Is there any type of, uh, I've always heard it's allergy related. Um, Maybe sometimes if you, you know, use a new laundry detergent or things like that, something that might irritate the skin. Um, But is there something that parents can look for to try and um, help their child if they're seeing that? Or even like I said, for myself, I'm not even sure what even causes it anymore at my age and why I'm getting these flare ups once in a while, but is there something you can shed light on that of you know what we can ask our dermatologists you know when we go for an appointment or uh, maybe a test we can take to see if it is allergy related or something like that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think that brings up a really um, great point that a lot of the times, even with managing the dry skin element, so using your moisturizer, using gentle cleansers, it may not be enough. And I know you mentioned your hands and it's actually not uncommon for for parents to notice that their hands start to get very dry, especially after having a new baby between washing bottles and washing hands more often. um, And actually just water in and of itself can be irritating to the skin. So we we obviously can talk about things like allergies, but even something as simple as washing your hands can actually be pretty drying on the skin, and so that is an area where even just by putting moisturizer on throughout the day as often as as one can, um, can be very helpful. And so, in terms of allergies, it is definitely a, a important um, thing to consider that sometimes you're doing all these things and it's not getting better. So by de- playing detective, which I always like to do with my patients, we're able to better understand what might be causing the issue. Um, There is actually a a formal test known as patch testing, where we actually commonly test to 80 of what we consider to be the most common allergens. And so the number that you get tested for may vary based on your specific issue or dermatologist in, in terms of what they have. But essentially, these top allergens include things like fragrances, metals, um, certain types of preservatives, certain types of rubber. Um, so for teenagers or who have maybe access to different sporting equipment or things like that. So there's a whole range of things that could be involved, including cosmetics, personal care products. And we actually test to 80 of these most common allergens. And we're able to identify maybe if there are things that are in products you're using or in things that you're wearing or detergents, as you described, if those might be implicated. And so that can can definitely be a helpful tool. Um, a lot of the times, um, many people are often curious what, what it is. And so it does help to delineate that a bit. Now, of course, it's always possible that it's what you're sensitive to may not be found in one of those tests. And so an easy trick at home is really just sort of simplifying your routine. So if it is uh, a irritation on the face or reaction on the face, simplifying your skincare routine and really identifying maybe one or two things that you introduce slowly to sort of decide whether or not a new reaction develops. Um, But what's tricky about the allergies is like oftentimes, well, somebody will come in with eyelid eczema or dryness, and it'll actually be related to their nail polish. So people don't always think about this because it's not obviously intuitive to think that your nail polish is causing that issue. But um, it is important to realize that it could be related to various things. So it might not be what you expect.
0: Right. That's interesting that it was on the nails, but then it was on the eyes. I mean, everything's connected. (laughs) Because we're
1: we're all rubbing our eyes. And then all of a sudden, you get that transfer and the eyelid skin is thin. So that's why I like being sure. a dermatologist. The detective work, it gets me every time.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. And I know for me, myself, anyone out there who needs any tips from me, just that's helped me is, uh, again, those lukewarm showers and wearing, I can't do it for the bath. You don't want to help the kids sometimes, but um, wearing gloves when I do the dishes has really helped a lot. Uh, and then, of course, moisturizing, like you said, right out of the shower, right before I go to bed, because it usually flares up at night sometimes. Uh, my husband's convinced um, that I'm allergic to my wedding ring actually, because, um, it's white gold, but he, it's usually when my, when it does flare up, it's around where my rings are. And so that's, you know, but I've never been officially tested, but now that I know that there's the patch test, I think I might try it out because, If it is that, that would mean I just have to get a different type of ring, I guess, or a different type of band, I suppose. Right. There you go. (laughs) So
1: that's actually a very common um, concern that people come in with. And sometimes even something as simple as putting like a little barrier cream, like a little Vaseline or Aquaphor every time you wash your hands, um, even before you apply the ring, can be helpful because it's going to protect the skin. So even if it is a little irritated, if you're creating a bit of a barrier in between, that can help. Um, But yes, those are all... Perfect tips, and so that's exactly what I often will recommend for for my patients as well. I would add, and I think this is an area that's a little bit confusing for people, um, that when you're looking at labels, um, it is important if you do have somewhat sensitive skin to look for what's known as fragrance free. And so, what's important there is that unscented does not necessarily mean without fragrance. So unscented often will have a masking fragrance, but people can still be sensitive or allergic to that, and even things that say hypoallergenic and fragrance-free are still relatively loosely regulated. So even though they're as best as we can get um, in terms of of sensitivity and and minimizing the amount of ingredients, it's still not perfect. So even if you're using something that's fragrance-free and you're developing an allergy or reaction, um, it's important to obviously follow up with your doctor to see if there's anything specific that, that needs to still be addressed.
0: That's a great point, point. and we're going to talk about that a little more when we come back. We're going to take a quick break and talk about sunscreen and wrinkles, which is what I really wanted to talk to you about today, but yes. we'll come right back. Hi, I'm Dr. Kim, the parentologist. As a wife, mom, therapist, and all-around juggler like most of you, I lead a hectic life, and sometimes that means indulging in foods on the go that my stomach doesn't always agree with. Thankfully, Pepto-Bismol provides me fast and effective relief for all kinds of upset stomachs. Having a little too many guilty pleasures at a family barbecue or birthday celebration may lead to indigestion or heartburn, so I always keep Pepto on hand to get fast relief when I need it the most. Pepto-Bismol. Use as directed and keep out of reach of children. Okay, so we need to start talking about wrinkles, but before we do, I want to go back to talking a little bit about sunscreen and SPF. I know before we took the break, you were talking a little bit about um, fragrance-free and what to look for in in some products. Is there any other type of ingredient that we should be looking for in our skin products, whether it's sunscreen or shampoo or makeup or things like that, that we should definitely try to avoid uh, maybe some kind of non toxic or some toxic type chemical products, parabens, things like that. What should we be looking for when, we, when we're looking at different products to put on our skin?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, it certainly varies based on your personal skin type and, and how your skin tends to respond. And so for those who do have more sensitive skin, um, certainly avoiding parabens, um, the fragrances, as we mentioned, it can be helpful because those can be otherwise irritating or sensitive on the skin. Um, beyond that, when it comes to sunscreen, I think this is really where decoding a label can be very important um, because you really want to make sure that the sunscreen you're selecting has all of the good ingredients and, and everything that it is, everything that's important to have in order to make sure that it's going to be most effective. And so, when it comes to looking at a sunscreen label, you want to make sure that for both children and adults that it has SPF 30 or higher. So that basically indicates the sun protective factor. Um, You want to make sure it's broad spectrum, meaning it's going to provide coverage against both UVA and UVB um, exposure, as well as if you're going to be spending time outside, look for if it says it's water resistant and for the duration that that is. And so when it comes to sunscreen, we always say it's important to reapply every two hours to maintain that same degree of efficacy. So when we say SPF 30 or higher that's me telling you that it's effective for that amount, but for that duration of time. So really every two hours you want to be reapplying. Sooner if you're going to be swimming or sweating and for that follow certainly what the water resistant part of the label says. Now when it comes to kind of breaking down sunscreens a little bit more, there's this idea behind the chemical filters or um, the mineral or physical blockers. And so generally for Uh, Children for babies, um, and uh, for those who have sensitive skin, I usually do recommend a mineral blocker. And those are the ones that contain zinc oxide or titanium dioxide. And formulations have come a long way from when they left you chalky white and with that big, thick white cast or a la lifeguards. Um, So so really a lot of great formulations. And so I think the mineral blockers are a great option for somebody who has sensitive skin. Um, Like I said, for for children, important to note that generally for babies less than six months, we just recommend avoiding the sun, using sun protective clothing, but for babies greater than six months or older than six months, that's when, um, it's considered safe to start applying the sunscreen. So you really do want to sort of be mindful. Obviously, a a sunburn is not ideal regardless. Um, And we know that childhood exposure to the sun really does have an impact later on in life. So as we start talking about wrinkles, but also in terms of skin cancer, really what ends up happening as a child in terms of your exposure really does play a part in that. So main tips with sunscreen, SPF 30 or higher, remembering to reapply every two hours, looking for a sunscreen that's broad spectrum, providing coverage against UVA and UVB, and checking out for water resistance.
0: Okay, good. You answered like five questions in that one <laughs> answer. So I love it because that's exactly what I wanted to know because I want to know or you know, you see all sorts of SPFs out there. Uh, you know, you see, uh, you know, there's even some that don't even really have any, like the oils that I, you know, I don't even sell them anymore. But when I was growing up, there was kind of this oil kind of base that you wore and, you know, and there's SPF, you know, 20 and 15 and there's all the way up to 50 and maybe even higher now at this point. But um, so I, I, that's I did want to that was very important. I wanted to know that um, you also shared about something recently on your Instagram, uh, I believe, that talked about the two finger rule when applying sunscreen. Will you share a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, at the end of the day, sunscreen is only good if you're applying enough of it. So, when sunscreens are created and we give it a number of 30 or 50, it's based on the fact that we're applying essentially two milligrams per centimeter squared. And so, kind of breaking that down in terms of how we think of that in terms of our body and what we're doing, um, we can sort of use a few different ways to visualize that when it comes to putting sunscreen on our face. And so one way is what what's known as the two finger roll, which is basically applying your sunscreen from the tips of your finger all the way down to the base where your finger meets your palm along the length of basically your index finger and your middle finger. And basically when you do that, it ensures that you're going to have enough coverage to apply the sunscreen to your face and your neck as well. And so for many people who sort of say, oh, I put my sunscreen on and they have like one little dot that they're applying a very thin layer, chances are that's not going to actually be giving them the protection that they need. Um, some other ways, so the two finger rule, I think is easy because obviously you have your you have your fingers with you at all times, so you're, you're never going to forget how to do that. Um, But we often say like a shot glass size is the equivalent of what should be for the whole body per application. So, so many people say, oh, I got back from vacation and I actually know the summer is happening and I still have my same sunscreen bottle from last year. And dermatologists often wonder, well, are you really using enough of it if that one bottle that you had all for a vacation all summer long is still lasting you? And chances are you're not. So um, you really want to make sure that that full shot glass of one ounce is going to get you per every application. And then other ways, I mean, certainly for the face, um, also we think of like a nickel sized dollop. So if you were to um, put enough into your palm, that's the shape of like a nickel almost. And then uh, that tends to be a good amount. So.
0: I love that. Thank you. I like something, you know, very practical and tangible, you know, like, like the the size of a nickel, like that makes sense to me. Like that's doable. And you can remember that it's pretty easy to remember. Now I just want to dispel a myth uh, really quick. And maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll see what your answer actually is, but can people get sunburned even on a cloudy day? I was at the beach a couple weeks ago with my family and it was a pretty cloudy day. It was warm, but it was cloudy and I overheard someone near me saying, oh, I don't need sunscreen because it's cloudy outside. How would you respond to that?
1: <laughs> yeah. So that is definitely, well, th- definitely false. So there is absolutely still the uh, potential to get sunburned on a cloudy day. Um, so you definitely want to always, always, always wear sunscreen, but it is a very common myth and we hear it all the time. And in fact, I often see patients who come in um, and I'm glad they're coming in because they're, they're doing their due diligence. They're coming in for a check, they're like, oh my gosh, I forgot to wear my sunscreen and you know it was cloudy. I didn't think I needed it. And so here, lo and behold, they end up with a sunburn. Um, So yes, it is definitely the case that UV exposure can happen even on the days that it's cloudy. Um, If you're sitting by a window, what's important to know is that UVA can actually penetrate through um, many types of window glass. And so you can still experience UV exposure in that way. So if you're somebody who's sitting by a window, all day long. That is something to consider. So you may not think to put sunscreen on when you're indoors, but that would be a reason to do so. Um, So I always tell people, make sunscreen part of your daily routine. It's like brushing your teeth in the morning. Just always have it on. You never know when you're going to be outside. You never know what the weather is going to bring. And really, it deserves to be on your skin every day. Um, And this really goes for people who even are in the wintertime, rainy, cold weather, sunny weather, all of the above.
0: Yes, exactly. I was thinking about when you said that, I was thinking about what's going skiing and how sometimes, you know, even when you're skiing, you need it. Okay. Two more myths and then we'll move on to wrinkles. But, um, another one is where do freckles come from? I've heard people say that freckles come from sun exposure and that they're, you know, um, they become more prevalent when you're in the sun. Um, but is that the case or where, where do freckles actually come from?
1: Yeah. So freckles by, by name uh, actually represent um, something that medically has, can be genetic. Some people can just have sort of certain a predisposition to having these areas with greater pigmentation. But oftentimes what's confused for freckles is this idea of lentigenes or a, or a lentigo. And that's basically what most people identify as a sunspot where maybe as they get older, they start to notice more brown spots or sunspots. And it is true that those can darken with with more sun exposure and that they can arise with cumulative sun exposure over time. Um, so, so people who are walking around with traditional freckles it may not be that they had a really bad sunburn and then all of a sudden developed all these all these brown spots there is sort of a actual predisposition to, to traditional freckles uh, but the brown spots over time are in fact sun related and um, by being good about sun exposure sun, sun exposure and protecting your skin from the sun early on can help to prevent those down the line. So another area where preventing is far easier than treating.
0: Exactly. Okay. Last Smith. Thank you for answering that one. When it comes to getting SPF makeup for anyone out there who wears makeup on a daily basis, is that important? Should we use the makeup, the SPF and the makeup in lieu of adding sunscreen to our face um, when we go outside? Or should should we do both? Um, And then if we're mostly just going outside, let's say just to do school drop off and pick up, but we're mostly going to be at home. You know, when do we know when we should apply sunscreen to our face when we're going to be outside?
1: Absolutely. So I call makeup with sunscreen, the cherry on top. So it's great to have, it's a great bonus, but it should not be in place of your actual sunscreen. Most of this is because getting back to in order to actually have the proper amount of SPF coverage, you need to apply enough of it. And many of us are not applying the amount of makeup needed to ensure that you're going to have the appropriate SPF coverage that we need to actually prevent you from developing sunburn, skin cancer, and other types of sun damage to the skin. So for that reason, we usually say You always want to have a good layer of your sunscreen first, and then you can apply your makeup on top. And if you have a makeup with sunscreen, perfect. It's also great for reapplication throughout the day. So um, I do find that some of the powder brushes or compacts that have SPF um, and makeup compacts can be a great option for for those reapplications. But for your sort of initial application for the day, you want to make sure you're using a layer of sunscreen and then the, the makeup with SPF on top. In terms of uh, the second question you asked, I know you...
0: (laughs) Yes, about, yeah, I want to know, you know, should we be putting it on every day regardless? What if we're just running to the grocery store, picking up our kids from school, and we're outside for maybe five minutes or something like that? Do we still need to do that whole regimen, or how long do we need to be in the sun before we really should be applying it?
1: Yeah, so I mean so certainly I I my short answer is yes, you want to apply it every day and a lot of that really comes down to this idea of we're creatures of habit. And if you start to forget to use it certain days and then other days and you happen to go to school drop off but then you ran into somebody and now you're talking for 20 minutes outside, that is actually enough time to to get a sunburn especially for somebody who may be more fair skin. So a lot of the times the amount of time you spend in the sun and the Actual risk may be related to your own personal skin type. Um, however, it is always going to be a potential to experience that sun exposure. So if the sun is out and or if the UV exposure is there and you're outside, there's always that potential. So I would say every day, really try to make it part of your routine.
0: I love that. And that's true. We are creatures of habit. And if we aren't in the habit, then it probably isn't going to happen. Or that's when we start making our excuses. Well, it's only going to be five minutes or whatever the case is. And then we, you know, exactly. have habit. Okay, so what I really wanted to talk to you about today was about wrinkles, because that's in the life stage I'm at where I'm starting to see wrinkles. I'm starting to see my, my skin, especially in my neck, be you know, a little on the more saggier side. Um, you know, and I'm at the age where I can't reverse those things, right? i I'm, I'm, you know, have to maybe even try to, you know, just um, you know, age naturally, but I know there's some other things that, you know, there might be out there to do. So When it comes to things, let's start at home that we can maybe do to try and, you know, even if they're already there, uh, again, we can't necessarily reverse them at home, maybe with Botox and things like that, you can, but what can we do at home? I know there's so many creams out there, like, you know, neck creams and firming creams and things like that. Do those really help? Or is there something we can do at home besides moisturizing that could help reduce even the looks of those lines and wrinkles and whatnot?
1: Yeah, so so absolutely. I mean, I think many people who have gone through sort of the stages in life have started to see that the impact of what we end up losing. So we, we always say in your 20s, you start to lose essentially a percent of collagen a year. And so when we lose that college and we don't only see it right away. And so our 20s, we're all good, we're all feeling great. And then all of a sudden you hit 30s and you start to see things start to change. And then you hit 40s and you're like, oh yeah, they really are changing. And so I always say kind of getting back to this idea of starting early is always going to be helpful. So um, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so that's where skincare can be really impactful because exactly as you said, if you're able to start earlier, even when you're just starting to be bothered by it. So, You may not have – you may have – Um, some lines, but you're still starting at this point starting to notice that you can still make a difference with what you're doing at home. And sort of the key to building a skincare routine in that regard is I always say you want sort of a certain foundation of ingredients. You definitely want your moisturizer because it all comes back to the beginning of our conversation, the skin barrier. So keeping the skin barrier healthy is not only going to keep your skin looking healthy, but it's also going to allow you to tolerate some of these other active ingredients that actually are going to help to build collagen and sort of help improve the appearance of the fine lines and wrinkles. So moisturizer is great. Um, Sunscreen is essential because no matter what, if you're not doing sunscreen, then all of the other things you're doing are a waste because the sun is going to continue to cause further damage and sun damage to the skin. And that shows up in the form of fine lines, wrinkles, and brown spots. So moisturizer, sunscreen... Certainly making sure to wash your face every day. So making sure to wash your face at the end of the day is important. So even though we all think of it as, okay, it's just sort of what you do in terms of getting rid of the buildup of bacteria and dirt and debris and excess oil, it also creates a surface for whatever active ingredient you're going to use to be applied to. So it ensures that there's proper penetration. So cleanser, moisturizer, and sunscreen, if you're not doing those yet, that's going to be your first starting point. Then our second tier is going to be what's known as a retinol. So maybe some of you have already heard of retinols and retinoids. They're one of a our dermatologist's go-to ingredients for all things anti-aging. It also can be used for, for breakouts. And so incidentally, there's other value to it. But retinols have been studied to help prevent and treat signs of aging. So fine lines, wrinkles, it helps to build collagen. So it's going to help with um, tightening the skin. It helps with pores. It helps with texture. It helps with acne scars, marks, discoloration, blemishes. So really, if you're going to pick one anti-aging ingredient to fix, Uh, to focus on, it's going to be a retinol. And usually I recommend using that at nighttime after you wash your face, typically before you put on your moisturizer and getting into the habit of using that. And again, just committing to it, even if you're only doing it once a week, working your way up as tolerated. Um, The important thing with retinols is they can be irritating. So just this little side pro tip. So you want to start low and slow. So don't feel like you have to jump right in using it every day and putting a ton on. That's not going to make your wrinkles get better any faster. You really just want to slowly ease yourself in. I always say a little pea size is enough to apply to the whole face. we have your retinol. Generally, I recommend doing that at night and then in the morning an antioxidant. So vitamin C. So vitamin C as a topical can be helpful to protect the skin from free radical damage. So we know when we're out in the sun and even with the best amount of sunscreen, we're still getting different types of exposures through the environment, whether it's pollution, UV, and that's causing what's known as free radical damage. Vitamin C is on your skin to help protect you from that, help repair that to minimize the impact of these things on the skin. So to kind of summarize, a good at-home skincare routine is going to be a gentle cleanser. In the morning, you'll then do an antioxidant like a topical vitamin C, a moisturizer, and then your sunscreen. And then in the evening, you'll do your cleanser, a retinoid, and then a moisturizer on top. And that, I would say, is kind of a perfect place to start. Of course, there are eye creams, neck creams, ingredients, and other things to look out for. But if you can commit to that initial, then you're in a good place.
0: Oh, good. Okay. I'm going to try it. I was, like, making notes we <laughs> were talking about it, thinking, okay, I'm going to I'm going to do all these things. Um, now, and there, and there are, for those people out there that do want something more, an actual, um, let's say, procedure, something like Botox or other things, um, would you recommend anything like that. I know you, um, did a really, really funny, um, reel the other day or not really funny So You do some funny reels. I love your reels actually. Um, um, speaking about something about Kim Kardashian. So if you would just share that and maybe just share, um, cause that procedure looked really interesting and I just want a little, little, learn a little more about that. Um, and then you can share where others can find you, um, you know, so, to find more again, your reels are hilarious and you have such great tips. Um, but anyway, if you would just share a little bit about that and um, and then share where we can find you to learn more.
1: Absolutely. So, yes. So I always say when it comes to this idea of helping to age gracefully and and really kind of finding a way to complement what you're doing at home with things that we can do in the office. And And the beauty of the things that we have to offer in the office is that there are ways to do it and make it give you the look that's refreshed and natural and still look like you, but the best version of yourself that you feel good about. And so that can be through injectable. So Botox tends to be used to help with um, what we call expression lines. So oftentimes people talk about like the 11s in between their brows or the horizontal lines of their forehead or their crow's feet. And typically what Botox does is it basically softens those lines. And so it's not gonna erase them completely, but it is gonna help prevent them from getting deeper and helps to soften the overall appearance. So I love my patients who then come back after having Botox, they just say they feel more refreshed. They don't say that, oh, this person knows that I did it. They just said, oh, did you do something different? Did you get a good night's sleep? And so I think the beauty of doing something like Botox is that there is a way to do it in a way that improves how you feel about yourself without making you not look like yourself. Similarly, things like filler can also be done. Um, that's generally designed to help um, in restore volume. So as we get older, we lose volume, we start to see a little bit of that sagging. And using filler can help to restore certain things and it help to, to bring volume back into certain areas by insert and in doing an injection. And then there's this other area, and that's what you're noticing in terms of that reel of different types of devices that we have. And we I mean, one of the amazing things about dermatology in general and really where the field has evolved is that it feels like every couple of years, we're getting these like just complete um, changes to how we approach this anti-aging because we're able to utilize technology in so many different ways. And so the device that you're referring to, which is the Morpheus, is a radio frequency microneedling device. And so breaking that down, it's combining two different procedures. So microneedling is this idea of creating teeny tiny little micro injuries into the skin, which we know helps to build collagen. And at the end of the day, when it comes to sort of improving the appearance of fine lines, wrinkles and tightening the skin, it's all about boosting collagen. So collagen is key. Microneedling helps to boost that collagen. But when we essentially combine that with radio frequency, which is essentially like heat energy, we're able to tighten, we're able to help boost even greater collagen production. And so we often do it on the face. And so for people who want like a little bit of a lift, it gives them that effect. It helps to smooth out the texture. It helps to improve the area under the eyes by giving the skin a little bit of a plumpness there. Um, But what we noticed that Kim Kardashian did is she also used it for her stomach and you can also use it even for your knees and your arms and it helps to tighten the skin. So for anyone who's a had a child or has that stubborn fat that they're they're having a hard time losing, and you notice that there's this skin laxity that develops, it can help tighten the skin in that area by helping to boost this collagen. So it's also another great treatment for stretch marks. Um, but the nice thing about it is it doesn't come with a lot of downtime. So it's the type of thing that you may be read for Up to like four to six hours and usually the first 24 hours we say to kind of minimize your activity but but really beyond that you get to get up and go and I call it the gift that keeps on giving because ultimately when it comes to collagen any amount that you build over time is going to be an investment in your skin overall so as much as you can build that collagen through certain devices whether it's that Or we also have lasers, like laser resurfacing, which can be helpful also for like brown spots on the surface. So those obviously, there are ways to prevent them, sunscreen, of course, but there are also ways to get rid of them and to treat them. And that tends to be through lasers that help to resurface the skin to sort of erase some of that sun damage. And then as long as you're still doing the sunscreen, you're going to prevent those from hopefully coming back.
0: I love that. Okay. I think I might want to try that because, you know, I had two sessions and so, you know, that- That part of my body, you know, has just the skin is very different now. And then, of course, my face. And I want to age gracefully, you know, by, you know, just sometimes Mm -hmm. like a little perk or a little little help along the way. Um, You know, I drink my collagen shakes and I, you know, do some of the things that you already talked about. But um, like you said, it's just... um, getting into the routine, getting in the habit of doing those things on a regular basis um, to really benefit our skin and our bodies and, you know, our lives, like you said, to feel like we're our best version of ourselves. So, um, so thank you so much for all of your tips and advice today. I learned so much. I'm sure everyone who's listening did as well. Where can we find you for more tips and to follow along with you on social media and things like that?
1: Yeah. So you can find me at Dr. Marissa Garshik. I am on Instagram and TikTok. And then my private practice is located in New York City at Medical Dermatology and Cosmetic Surgery. And I am so happy and thrilled that I could be here with you. Um, I really enjoyed speaking with you and and also love following you and, and getting all your tips. Um, as we all know, raising children is no easy feat and hence all the wrinkles that we all end up developing. But um, so I appreciate all that I've learned from you and really am thrilled to be here.
0: Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist Podcast so you don't miss an episode. And make sure to tell your friends this podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.